just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Welcome back. It's good to be back. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? Oh, you know, another day, another dollar. Or 50 cents, depending on how you look at it. But, you know. Uh, no, it's going good. Uh, going good. Living life. Winters are on the horizon. I'm excited. I don't know about anyone else. Probably not, but I get it. Not a cold weather guy or what? Of course I am, but I know everybody else isn't. <laughs> Especially the driving where we live, people aren't the best drivers in the winter, and it's... They it's, need one good snow to remind them not to be stupid. It's just oddly ironic because it snows, it has the potential to snow six months out of the year here. And people still forget somehow in the, in the, in the eight to six months off when it doesn't snow that, oh, it snows here. I forgot how to drive. It's like, where does, where does that sense of... I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. It's stupidity to me. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, it's like they need one good snow to remind them that, oh, crap, snow is wet and and slippery. And very real. And, oh, I thought this was, yeah. Anyways, a uh, topic for another time, I suppose. But now we're back. Another episode for you guys. We wanted to bring a, another, another interesting one. Th- th- this time... Revolving around uh, the defensive systems in the science fiction universe. We may get to fantasy. There's so much in science fiction revolving around armors and shielding and the advancement of uh, elements in the universes. And if we get to fantasy, I mean, it's pretty much all the same in fantasy. If it's all Earth realm based, it's armor plating and chainmail coats and. Magic. Magic, yeah. But sci-fi is the progression in the universe is so diverse and so dense. It's just... I, I figured we could start with Star Wars. That's our bread and butter. The thing that I was thinking about that got me the most was in Star Wars. Okay, think about if you've, if you've read in the extended universe or you know about the Old Republic. Right. Their, their armor was, I'm saying, virtually impenetrable. Oh, yeah. It had the tendency, but armor back then was so strong that even lightsabers... Glanced sh- off of it. Yeah, if, if hit improperly, struggled to actually pierce and and impale the victims. It was just... They could withstand, like I was telling you, the thermal detonator explosions. Yep. I mean... Multiple direct hits from blasters. An, right, an explosion from, from a tank or some type of an artillery barrage. These... They'd come out unscathed almost. It's like, okay, fast forward a little bit. Early High Republic era, things started to change a little bit. Resources were stretched thin after all of the wars, you know, the Great Hyperspace War, the Sith War, the Eternal Empires, you know, the, the Eternal Empire, Arkan and Thexan's Empire, or I guess I should say Vitiate's Empire. They exhausted a vast amount of resources from space. Right. Because they had to armor and weaponize the Eternal Empire. Right. It takes a lot of resources. So you get to the High Republic era thousands of years later and, oh, well, let's scrounge for what we have. There's still a decent amount of elements in the world that they were able to scrap stuff together and it worked. Galactic Republic, you know, the time of the Jedi and the the Galactic Senates and... 
for a long time they didn't wear armor. I mean, well, because there was peace, right? And peaceful the Sith times. Were extinct quote. Right. So they well, didn't, they didn't need it. There's a lot to talk about about this because you also have like the blasters are getting more precise. The blasters are getting more powerful. They're more uh, pinpoint. They're more focused. And so, yeah, the armor is getting worse, and 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 it's like it's definitely getting worse. And a great example of that is the Empire. Uh, so the clones could take a hit, maybe two, but the Imperial armor it, it was kind of meant to dissipate one hit max, and from small arms. Even at that, the small arms is the problem because what did the rebels have when they started this guerrilla warfare? Right. They scrounged what they could. Blaster pistols, you know, stun batons, and the Imperial armor was not not capable of withstanding multiple hits. Well, and if your job before the resistance was to put down rebellion and, and riots, you really didn't need much more than the basic defense. Right. So why armor your guys in Cortosis if you can put them in, you know, Durasteel, Durasteel, or uh, some similar <coughs> armor? So it really didn't make. I mean, a lot of the times you're dealing with rocks being thrown. So uh, why armor them for blasters? It's just expensive, and it's it's unnecessary because they're not going to use it to its full potential. Then you have the uh, the rebellion kind of fire off. By that time, it was too late to scrounge armor together. Yep, and by that time, all of the armor being made was made for, for basically impact. Yeah. And so there is a lot of the defensive capabilities of the armor goes down, but it's also the, the, the increased efficiency of the weapons they're fighting. And I, I would say maneuverability. The Empire is fighting on a lot of planets to take back uh, systems that were lost in the Republic, and it makes sense. You want your troopers more agile. You want them to be quicker on their feet, more maneuverable with weaponry, you know. And, I mean, look at Hoth. Right. Those snow troopers were covered head to toe with some of the best armor. Why? Not only did they have to fight the elements, but they had to fight the rebels. Right. And they knew the Rebel Alliance, by this time in the Empire, Episode 5, when Empire Strikes Back is... The rebels are kind of at their, their, they're on the back foot, but they're armed. Right. The they're Empire at, knows that they're capable. They blew up the Death Star. Well, they're at their most technologically advanced. However, they are on the back foot because there's not many of them, and they made their big showing. They blew up the Death Star. That was their big. That was the the pinnacle of their attacks. So it was smart on the Empire to arm and equip the Empire. The, the Imperial soldiers as best as they could to essentially keep them on the back foot. But at the same time... Well, it's not all that different from, like, well, everyday cops in our world. You know, everyday cop, they get maybe a bulletproof vest. It's almost essential now. And then you have the riot police, and they have a bulletproof vest and a helmet and a shield. Yeah. But then you get into paramilitary and military, and you're looking at full-body armor... Uh, plates on the front and back. You're IBM looking at suits. IB, yep. And so, y- why would you arm your everyday stormtrooper with top of the line gear? No, no, no. You make your ex- your elite units armed heavily. So, like the the snow troopers on Hoth and the 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 death troopers, the riot troopers. I mean, those are the guys you're going to put in the best of the best. Mm-hmm. 
<coughs> you drum troopers, guys that are going into actual combat, you give them everything. I mean, even the scout troopers were more... Which is kind of ironic, right? But the, even they were more well-equipped than just regular old stormtroopers. Well, it's kind of ironic, but at the same time, you put more training into somebody, you want to give them better armor. Well, because they were snipers. You don't want to lose that refunds. investment. Right. But I just it's just so strange that Star Wars does that, because then I look at I look at universes like Halo. The armor always progressed. The well, but so do the weapons. Right. But the, the well, except for the Covenant. The Covenant's weapons kind of... Well, the Covenant is a whole different beast because they're not developing right. their stuff. But the humans, it's like you look at you look at Mark two and three armor for the Spartans. Then you look at the progression Mark Mark four armor, Mark five, Mark six, ODST comes out, and it's like the the shields are enhanced, the recharge is enhanced, the armor is enhanced, giving them more maneuverability, more acrobatics. Right. As the universe progresses, they progress. Which makes sense. Right. Look at Mass Effect, same thing. You know, the first Mass Effect before before the proton the proteans were wiped out. Right. It's like when human civilization had to reset itself and then you have uh you have the, the Citadel and you have all the alien races come together, they pool their efforts. Biotics are enhanced, element zero and it's it's the the way they harvest it is enhanced, the armor is enhanced. All throughout the progression of the universe and then I guess we could hit 40k. Look at 40k. Except for that, I don't want to hit on the Necrons because they're a whole other breed. I really. But Be- the the progression, it's a linear progression. That that's where I'm. I'm just trying to say that as universes expand <coughs> and progress, you would think defensive and offensive capabilities, be it weaponry and defensive systems, we're specifically talking about defense here, should progress. But Star Wars seems to regress. And I think that is simply because that's the way the story was told and that's what needed to fit the narrative. And I really don't want to get into episode 7, 8, and 9, but because it is canon, I feel like we should hit on it. Even the Eternal Empire, the First Order, it's still it's still a regression. Yeah, they're more accurate with their weapons, but the defensive system still. I mean, there's a specific instance in the very first scene of episode 7 where Poe is running back to his X-Wing he grabs his blaster, and he, he kills, like, six or seven First Order troopers one shot. Right. Now, Poe is an extremely trained elite soldier, so I understand that. But weapons in Star Wars progress faster than defensive systems. Right. And that's what's ironic to me. They because should be in tandem. It should be a seesaw. As the weapon increases, the armor then returns to increase. So it would be like the Middle Ages uh, in, in our history. You look at, they create a better sword. And so you have, well, let's go back further than the Middle Ages. The Greeks create the phalanx. What's the answer to that? Roman armor. Okay. It's a big step between the two. But what finally finally takes out the Greeks? The Roman armor and the ability to move around and mobilize more effectively across rougher terrain. I suppose. Well, what... Jump forward again. What ends up crippling the Romans? The Germans. You Basically. <laughs> as with no armor. No armor. But what, what cripples them enhanced really weapons. is enhanced weapons. Yeah. And, well, let's be honest, what's the most important weapon you can field? 
the human. The human being, yeah. And so these Germans come out of nowhere, and they're six foot two, and they're, you know, stacked with muscle. Well, you don't necessarily need to increase the weapon's effectiveness if you can put an extra 300 pounds behind it. Or a 30-pound sledgehammer that someone's swinging around. That's, armor's not going to stop that. Right. And so then you look at the middle mid, medieval times, and it's like... I'm not super good on this part of history, but basically you start with short swords and then they create chainmail. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? You create broad uh, broadswords or rapiers or you know stabbing swords. Thrusting. Yeah. And so they create plate armor. So they create you know better warhammers. So what do they do? They increase the weight of the plate mail, Cudgels the thickness of the plate mail. And, yeah. And so it's not that they increase at the same time. It's that, oh, crap, somebody has new uh, offensive technology? Well, now we just increase our defensive technology. And so it's a race between the two, like a rubber band fighting back and forth. Or a seesaw, like a... I guess I, I would agree for the most part, but there's still spots that don't make sense. Because in Star Wars, it's... The weapons are progressing far faster than the defense can catch up. That's my point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. it's like the, the weapons are always two steps ahead, even though, like you were saying, it's a, it's supposed to be a seesaw or a teeter-totter. Right. It's not, not teetering exact. back the other way. It's like, well, it's just weapons, 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 because they want to be the Blitzkrieg. They want to be the offense. Well, but there are times in Star Wars where you see the defensive capabilities get ahead a little bit. Uh, the B-1 battle droids were not defensive at all. They were all offense. Yeah. And so... Because you could mobilize thousands of them within seconds. Right. And so when the clones start to figure out, okay, well then let's just fight them from a distance and, and outgun them. Well, what do they come out with? The B-2. And the Droidica. Yeah. And the B-2 can take blaster fire and just... Keep on walking, and the Droidica has a built-in shield. It's pretty squishy if you can get past that or yeah, get them while they don't have the shield up. fast. And so there is times in Star Wars where you see defense take over and get ahead of the offense. But right there again, you get back up to new defensive measures. I mean, one of the key examples of insanely good defensive technology is the Mandalorians. Well, I mean... Yeah, it's because... I mean, why did the Mandalorians win? Yeah, they were good fighters. Yeah, they were well-trained and well-outfitted. Yeah, they had good weapons and good ships. But really, they won because if you're fighting dudes with lightsabers and the lightsabers won't puncture the armor, you're going to win. It's the Beskar, yeah. It's, it's... You're a walking tank. Right. And, well, especially during the, the, the Galactic Civil... Or the... Um, hyperspace. The Hyperspace Wars, the Mandalorian Wars... You know, Revan was able to unite them and say, let's use your Beskar against you. Right. So now you have Jedi taking Beskar off of dead Mandalorians. Right. And the Mandalorians are like, oh, uh, shit. Oh, <laughs> now is... there's lightsabers and Beskar <laughs> together. It's like, uh, not D good. It's not good. <laughs> right. Which is also why the, uh, the Mandalorians are so covetous of their Beskar. Well, because it's it, it, to earn Beskar armor, <sighs> as much as the show The Mandalorian butchered the entirety of the lore behind earning your Beskar, and they give Bo-Katan a Mythosaur sigil, which I'm not going to get into because it's still, I'm butthurt over it, but... I mean, it, they're it's not like, wrong. The Mythosaur is the sign of all. <sighs> yes, but 
but she's Mandalorians. Not. It's the Mandalorian people versus the the belief is why they couldn't continue to keep that separate from each other. The belief of being Mandalorian and the trials and tribulations is not the same as being a Mandalorian person coming from the planet Mandalore. They're two different things. So when they tried to tie them together, it just makes absolutely no sense when the lore of it is the Mandalorians are a nomadic people. Right. They did not all come and stay on one planet. They left planet to planet to planet. When they exhausted the resources of said planet, they would pick up and move on. Right. And they were hunting Beskar as a part of that. Well, yeah, but they never did find any new Beskar refineries. Oh, yeah, because it was depleted almost galaxy-wide. But my point is, Beskar was their their greatest thing, and it never changes. It's always the same. Right. The only thing they might be able to do is find some sort of injectable mold or some type of, I don't know, chemically enhancing element that allows it to be thinner or bend or something right but why innovate if it's already the best thing and it can't be beaten i mean why innovate beskar if it's already the best because it was proven it can be beaten by the empire right and it can but up to that point but up to that point it was like oh we have perfect defense so we'll just go all offensive so then why which is why you see the whistlers which is why you see flamethrowers jet packs rocket packs i mean you see all of these offensive innovations from the mandalorians but you almost never see defensive innovation from the mandalorians because why there's no need to innovate beskar because it's already the best so then why doesn't the, I guess my question would be if the Empire who fought them, later years now flashing forward to Empire times, Galactic Empire times, why was the Empire not able to see that and their scientists think, you know what, maybe we should increase our defensive system because clearly the Mandalorians are still beating us. Clearly the rebels are still beating us. Well, because if you're throwing the entire galaxy at a planet, it's, it's really just a matter of numbers. <clears throat> they, they're, you know, if, if the Mandalorians take out a hundred of your guys for one of them, all you have to do is throw an extra what hundred million at them. Problem solved. Yeah, but if one Mandalorian's worth two hundred Imperial soldiers, look at Paz Vizsla. Uh, rest in peace. That scene was absolutely amazing. He took on all those guys. He exhausted all his resources. What did he do? He used his defensive capabilities as an offensive weapon. Yep. But again. The Empire is looking at this as simple math. Look, we can increase all of our defensive capabilities. people at them and waste people. Yeah, that's genius. Well, as compared to wasting money you're spending elsewhere and not have. It's the Empire. They have, their pockets are, are limitlessly deep. You know, just about deep enough to build two Death Stars. <laughs> <laughs> and you just answered the question. So that's kind of what I had been pondering on is. And what were they doing? Build, no, what I was going to say is. Instead of increasing the armor of people and defensive capabilities and weapon systems, they were wasting resources on another Death Star, which blew up again in the end anyways. And well, they were, they were trying to increase their offensive put out, output, put out, output instead of their defensive output. To try and beat a group of, a, a band of rebels, I should say. That is already quicker and faster. Your offensive capabilities mean nothing. Well, not if you can blow up their whole planet, apparently. One planet. It was a flawed concept. Well, two, if you want to talk about Scarif, I suppose. Well, they didn't blow up the planet. They just altered its surface forever. (laughs) 
No, they blew up the top hemisphere, you know, no big deal. <laughs> well, they didn't really blow it up. They kind of just glassed it with a volcano. But the fact remains, it's like, if you have all of these capabilities and you know how to advance weapon systems, why would you not put some of that into the defenses? Like, it still just amazes me that they lost twice, the Empire lost twice, and they still were like, no, nah, we're just going to focus all our capabilities on weapon systems still. Oh, so then flash, fast forward to um, The Force Awakens, Episode 7, and you have Starkiller Base. Right, but is that really... They blew up all the Republic core planets. Like, okay, now all you've done is weaponize the entire galaxy against you. Right. And it worked. Well, and, and a part of that's writing, but a part of that is also like... Yeah, I suppose. Let's think about like the Spanish Armada. Do you remember the story of the Spanish Armada and how they were beaten? Yes. Littler ships came in and danced around them till they were dead. Or completely crashed right into them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, what was the name? The Spanish that? had the most powerful the, navy at the time. Yeah. Kind of like the Empire had the most powerful navy at the time. And all it took was one little weakness. <sighs> because they didn't worry about defensing. Because a lot of people think the bigger weapon means you're more powerful. Which, militarily speaking... To a point is true, but not in its entirety. There's truth in it does not mean it's true. That's what I said. So it's like, yeah, you might be more feared because you have bigger weapons and they're stronger, but... But they're slower. The Luke Skywalker is a perfect example. X-Wing, super fast, agile, not the strongest weapons, but it's capable. Slipped in through the guard, down the trench... Launched two proton torpedoes down the tube, the exhaust tube of the Death Star, and blew it up. Well, and it's it's absolutely realistic what Star Wars did yeah. with the Death Stars and the and the Star Destroyers and the the Navy. I mean, let's look at any number of examples. Uh, the Spanish Armada gets wiped out by Britain. Spanish Armada is considered to be the most powerful navy in the world at the time. Gets wiped out, but because the British can then rebuild their navy faster yeah they take over as the strongest navy in the world look at uh certain mid-century germans great you have the tiger tank and the this what was it this tiger three the super tiger yeah well great you have the greatest tank it's also a giant target and when they blow that one up you could have produced a hundred other tanks right that's why the russians were able to overwhelm them because they had the t-34 tanks that were super fast strong weapons at the same time yeah, they might have been a little bit lighter on the armor end. But Not really all that um, reliable. But if you have enough of them, there's reliability in right. numbers. So there's lots of examples where having the biggest military didn't really help you. I mean, there's a couple right there. Look at Carthage. Had the greatest navy in the world. Taken out by the Romans. Why? Because the Romans industrialized in shipbuilding. Well, they and also they, put ballistas on their ships, which was almost unheard of. And when you have and boarding a, planks, you know, a, a six foot, eight inch thick, sharpened wooden rod that flies at tens of miles per hour through a ship hole, you know, it's right. <laughs> well, and the, I mean, you also have like the Chinese. They were at the time the most technologically advanced in the world, and. Uh, well, they get wiped out by the Huns. Mao says, your ship not big, make it bigger. <laughs> <laughs> make it big and gay. Um, 
but they get wiped out by by horse riders. Right. Why? Because having this super technologically advanced uh, army really didn't matter when you couldn't get your technologically advanced army to the battlefield until after the horse riders were gone. <laughs> and so in Star Wars, you have the defensive capabilities of like, first of all, the Death Star, supposedly impenetrable. Well, impenetrable from the outside, as was proven not impenetrable from the inside. Right. Because essentially what had caused the destruction of it was a thermal implosion from the inside out. Right. And so you're looking at, again, wonderfully defensive, uh, not defensive enough, and not defensive in the right way. It was defensive, but not for what they anticipated. Because, again, they didn't anticipate the rebels to be as well equipped and, and maneuverable as they were. Right. Agile. So I guess... it. I'm just taking a note from these other universes in science fiction that say, as universes progress, we too need to progress technologically. Right. And it works. But Star Wars is like, well, let's progress, but let's be picky with what we progress with. It's like, well, Well, in a galaxy that has tens of thousands of planets and millions of sentient beings, it's like, that's... That's a narrative issue. The good guys had to win. And so it, it, you had to find a way for the bad guys to not be able to outpace them, at least in one order. Which, to a degree, makes a lot of sense, but from a writing standpoint, but from a, from, from a story and a writing standpoint, it makes sense. But from a, a lore and a practical standpoint, it doesn't make it sense. It is a bit immersion-breaking. Because, I mean, look, look at the ships in Star Wars. They, don't, they just get bigger. Versus Halo, Mass Effect, and some of the other science fiction universes that we talk about. Ships don't just get bigger, they get stronger, faster. Well, and sometimes they don't, they, they outright get smaller, Ex- but exact, more effective. But they, f- they find ways to work around it. I mean, look at us. Look at the first tanks developed in World War I by Britain. Right. Huge, giant, couldn't move more than two miles an hour. Well, and they were just troop carriers. Yeah, well, they had guns fixed on them, but well, it was like eight guns, and it's like, okay... We realize that they will get stuck in a trench and they get caught up in barbed wire. It's like, well, let's fix that. So they make them taller, one gun, less troops. Right. And they make the treads higher so they can actually maneuver over things. Right. And then look at tanks today. They can go up to 40, 50 miles an hour. Supercharged diesel beasts. Yep. So yep. Star Wars definitely has the capability. It's not for lack of resources. I mean, to a, I, I guess I shouldn't say that. Because there are points in Star Wars where resources get exhausted. I mean, look at Jedha. They were harvesting crystals. When Jedha was done, the Empire packed up and left. Right. Was there remnants left behind? Sure, and the scavengers will get those. Or the the rebels could come in afterwards now that they know where they're at, and they could arm themselves. Right, but they'd already taken 90-some percent, and right. it wasn't effective, cost-effective to keep the entire mining operation for the reduced output. Yeah, but it's like now fast-forward even more into the Star Wars universe, and... We see less of the cultivating of planets and lands for resources and more of the using those resources to increase armaments, which makes sense. Right. But I still feel like every avenue of arming a military should have been taken, which includes the defense. Well, I mean, if you're if you're going for a military-on-military fight, which at this point, and I think that's why the Old Republic 
had such good defensive measures is because you were fighting another army. Well, they were, were constantly at war. Right. You were fighting the Republic versus the Empire. So you're fighting a, a peer or a near peer. And so you're kind of driven into needing to at least match them offensively and defensively. So that drives innovation. That drives the requirement that your soldiers have to be armed better than the other guys. Yeah. Which means the other guy's soldiers then get armed better than yours and vice versa. And it's just a big cycle. Whereas with the Republic and then the Empire, you're not really fighting a near peer. You're not fighting... The, the Empire isn't fighting the Republic. It's the Empire comes out of the Republic and is just the... The, the sole power in the universe. So you have the Republic being the sole power, doesn't need to produce really dramatically better armaments. Then you have the Empire, who doesn't really need to increase the power of the armament, armaments. So I like to look at the Protheans from Mass Effect as that. If you've never played it, they're an ancient race, and they were one of the only races that was able to actually take on the Reapers. Right. The Leviathans. And the story, uh, I'll put it as quickly in layman's term as possible. The Leviathans were an ancient god race that developed the <coughs> Reapers, which were mechanized versions of themselves. Right. Think of a kraken in space, a giant ice kraken from Nordic Tales. They mechanized them to go to planets and reap. Right. Harvest. Harvest and start over. Humanity is getting out of hand, or this alien race is getting out of hand. We're going to start over. The Protheans said... No, we won't allow this. And they were a very technologically advanced race, very intelligent, intellect on a level, I would say, similar to the Vulcans. That's another one we can hit on. Um, so they developed what's called the particle beam, which was a weapon that was particulate-based, photonic and plasmatic particles mixed together. So they weren't worried about defense, which is why they were able to completely destroy the Reapers when they showed up. Right. They ended up losing and getting taken over and turned into what's called the Collectors. That's a whole other story. But their weapons were so advanced that they had that same mindset. Well, we beat back the Reapers. We're good. I'm assimilating this to the Empire. They progressed so far with weapons, they forgot to set themselves up defensively and they got destroyed. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I'm trying to think. I lost my train of thought. I had a great example of... Star Trek? Yeah, Star Trek. <coughs> That's one I feel like we didn't hit on, but yeah. That one is very linear where you can tell from chronologically, not like generations, but chronologically you look at the Star Trek universe and it's like they're constantly getting better. Yeah. You know, this iteration of... This iteration of the Enterprise is better than the last iteration, is better than the iteration before it. And so they're always improving. And that one's a really great example of the right way to do it, the proper way where, oh, crud, we need to make better shields because, uh, insert enemy, Romulans, uh, Vulcan. Well, not the Romulans and uh, Klingons. And then you have the Borg and... You, you have all these War enemies. a whole other entity. Right. But, yeah. but every time they come across a more powerful enemy, it, in, it, it incentivizes the Federation to adapt technology and to make it more efficient, more powerful. They have to innovate. Innovative. But they innovate based on their losses. Right. Star Wars doesn't, and that's what bugs me. Right. It's like the, the Federation could be like, oh, well, we just lost 20 ships to this. Okay. Uh, Vulcans figure out what happened. So the Vulcans do their thing, or, or whomever. I'm just using Vulcans because they're the more intellectual race. They can say, okay, well, 
it happened because of this divergence happened at this angle, which means we need to change our armor this way. Right. Okay, and the Federation innovates, and it changes those whatever culmination they come up with of a defensive system, and they make it better, stronger. Right. And they they and the Star Trek universe does a really good job of both increasing the power of their offense and the power of their defense based on like real threat, linear progression of the universe. Exactly. Yes. And so as their defenses get better. Well, then all of a sudden you see that they stop producing better defenses. They start producing better offense. And so it's this teeter-totter seesaw of, okay, now we have better defense than them. Now we're working on our photon torpedoes. Now we're working on our, our you know, our laser batteries or whatever they are. And so it, that one is probably my favorite just for the reality of it. It just shows you how broken Star Trek is. They have photon torpedoes. The, I, I assume most of our listeners are flashbang torpedoes. Are uh, yeah, I assume most of our listeners are uh, somewhat scientifically inclined and understand that photons are how we measure light particles. So in Star Trek, they s- seem to have been able to harness light to keep it together to launch a torpedo. <laughs> Talk about broken. <laughs> Let's harness light and make it never escape from its own condensed space. So the way that I've kind of (laughs) gotten around that... I can't deal with it. ...is that a photon photon torpedo is just a delivery system. It's a torpedo with a mechanism inside, whatever that mechanism may be. To be able to hold light together. No, no. I, I would say it's to... Once the torpedo is delivered to target, it releases some... The insane amount of energy that instantly the matter goes from relatively stationary to the speed of light instantly. Requiring thus that equals mc squared, that matter turns into energy. Right. And as, when as it you would. and when you release that amount of energy, well, that's devastatingly just power. Well, because it's compressed. And so that's kind of how I got around that one. Because I, well, I, I, I can in that way because think about, think about gas, the gas state of matter. The more you compress it, the more particles become excited because they have less room to move around. So you compress gas in a small space, throw it. A frag grenade, for instance, is a really good example of this. What happens when it explodes? There's, there's, there's it's pushed outward violently. More, right. There's more pressure. There's more potential energy getting moved into kinetic energy. So it makes sense. But I still laugh at the fact that they're able to contain light particles in a, in a small so, area. So the way, yeah, the way I've gotten away with that is I just say, it's okay, like any black hole that's not a black hole. The it's torpedo weird. delivers physical matter, and then somehow there is a. A warp, a warp drive inside of it that basically expels that matter at the speed of light or faster. Sure. And therefore, because it's not shielded, it just vaporizes into pure energy. Which the the impact and explosion and I guess I should say the reaction of the photon torpedoes is accurate. That's that is what would happen. It, the the light would essentially eviscerate anything that it comes into contact. Right, because it's just releasing pure energy. <clears throat> yeah. So. And that's another one. Lightsabers, too, I suppose, is, is energy. But I'm really, yeah. That one's getting, weird. Getting off topic. Um, that one's weird. Yeah, we could talk about lightsabers. Lightsabers are defensive. They block bastards. Culmination of, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but it's just it, every universe seems to get it correct in the sense of science as we know it, right? Physics says this, so let's relate it to that. But the progression of the Star Wars universe, like I said, it seems to regress and it, it causes some... It doesn't cause issues with the story because, like you said, the story needs to be told the way it does so the good guys can come out on top. Right. But from the outside looking in with a little bit more depth and knowledge, it's just, it still is, it, it's it's construed to me. It doesn't, it doesn't match up with the way you would think something like the Empire, powerful and mighty and vast. It's not they, how you might react to the situation. Well, kind of, but it's more like, how is it that somebody with that much power can't see the flaw in the culmination of only progressing weapons? Yeah, I, I could see that. But also, at the same time, there's plenty of examples in history that tell us that's exactly what we dumbass apes do. From our, <laughs> right, true, from, from, from our standpoint, but... I don't know. It just it's it's just so funny to me to see that that way. You know, the the stormtroopers get hit by one blast and they're dead, versus you watch the Clone Wars movies and even Episode Three, they get hit four, five, six times. I mean, those clone troopers shooting at Kiatamundi on Maigido when right. Order sixty six was enacted, he deflected so many blasters back then, but they were still standing, shooting him, just shrugging it off like nothing. Well, now granted, a reflected blast or deflected or reflected blaster bolt. Is going to have less kinetic energy. I understand that, but... You're not counting on the kinetic energy. Right. And Kiari Mundi being a Jedi Master and able to find those pinpoints and reflect it back with energy because of the Force, it's like it should have just killed them all in one shot. But it, I, I feel like most of it was more of an oh shit moment they're shooting at me. Right. As opposed to he had the chance to actually think about his actions and how to defend himself. Right. But the fact remains, they were able to still stand after being reflected bolts back at them and, like, nothing happened. Yeah. Well, and you could probably do several hours of deep dive into this, but, like... So the one that gets me is is there's a sudden turn after Order 66 and the creation of the Empire where the Empire goes, Okay, now we're out of this galactic-level war. We're going into a peacetime just because there's essentially no one to fight us. I mean, yeah, you have the huts, and you have the other syndicates, and you have... There's enemies, but they're not near pure. And not so, to take on the Republic. So now, the Empire has to go into, like, a regen cycle where they go, Okay, I need to, um... I need to pay for this last war. Like, I, I've got debts to the banking clans and all that. Um, I have all of these materials we purchased from these private companies. We're going to have to take care of that. And we have debts that we owe to them. Now we have all of these military veterans who are going to need to be supported for at least a little while. We need to do it. It's going to take time to ramp down the old government and install the new one. And so you're going to have that. There's, so I, I, yeah, there there's all kinds of costs. Right. And so I, it makes sense that where are you going to cut your costs? Well, we don't need this giant military apparatus anymore. We'll start by cutting them. And so how do you cut them? Well, you can't cut them entirely because you just kind of did a hostile takeover of the galaxy. You're going to need some forces to defend the Empire yeah. from inside. And so where do you cut? You can't cut the numbers. 
you can't cut the ships because you have to be able to get those numbers to the places that are in rebellion or in in disarray, disarray, civil strife, whatever. And so, well, what do we do? Okay, we're going to make the ships cheaper. We're going to use less armor. Yeah. We're going to cheapen up the starfighters. So instead of the <coughs> AC-185? 130. Uh, you're going to flip over to the TIE fighter. Or the RC, I think. It RC-135. You're going to flip over to the TIE fighter. Because it's significantly cheaper to produce, faster to produce, and it's just easier for logistically. Right. Uh, where else are you going to get rid of? Well, because well, you can house 100 TIE fighters right. as opposed to the 135 fighters. Well, and you can have smaller, you can have smaller decks for your for your flight deck. Arc one seventy five. Arc one seventy fives, and then you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have smaller flight decks. Yeah. Because you can just mechanically bring in another starfighter from storage and drop it into a smaller deck. Yep. Whereas the the Republic ships had this giant hangar that ran the length of the ship that opened up. Well, you don't need that. We just need a little hangar on the side, and we'll just ramp in no problem yeah and so there's a lot of cheapening in the empire's military budget well because they needed more they had control of the galaxy so they needed they, they they had such a vast control they needed ships that could cover space in the fourth dimension faster right and so well, the other thing is you're going to have, instead of a war where you have a war front that stretches across most of the galaxy, you're going to have little pockets of resistance. So you need ships that can get in there and they don't need, you know, the TIE fighter doesn't need hyper, uh, doesn't need a hyperdrive. Right. Because you're just going to carry it in on a Star Destroyer and drop 200 of them. Yeah, right. So no hyperdrive necessary. That's cheaper. It doesn't need shielding because you're not doing dogfights. Well, because you have 50 of them. You're, you're doing... You lose one or two, they, they don't care. No, well, right, but, but you're also not doing dogfights. You're just doing patrols. Well, not until the rebels show up. But at this point, there's no rebels. Yeah. And so they take away the shield generators, the hyperdrives, they take away most of the armor, and they're just like this little glass dome that you fly around in and shoot people. Glass cannon. <laughs> Fair enough. But... So the defensive capabilities being denigrated at that point, they, it makes sense. It makes sense that the Empire would not see the point of making a starfighter capable of of being a near peer to the, something like the X-Wing. At the start, yes, but then the struggle still comes in. As the Galactic Civil War progresses, they still opt not to put it into a defensive structure. Right, but then you have then you also have to deal with 10 or 20 years of atrophy. People don't like change. Why did the change happen when the Empire... Because everything was changing, so nobody resisted well, that particular they change. They didn't exactly have a choice either. Right, they didn't have a choice. But at that point, the Empire built this apparatus to control civil strife yeah. rather than military strife. Yeah. And so at the point that the rebels show up, there's actually a lot of atrophy and, and a lot of... Um, what's, the, what's the term for resisting chaos? Or the return, Resilience? no, the return to chaos, uh, entropy. Entropy, yeah. There's a lot of entropy and there's a lot of atrophy. There's a lot of people who are just like, well, I've been in the military for the Empire for 25 years and I will be darned if I'm going to put armor on that ship. Yeah. Because, well, what is a TIE fighter? It's a throwaway thing. Why would yeah. we armor a throwaway thing? You dumb, dumb. 
Yeah. Whereas when Thrawn comes in, you see Thrawn immediately be like, uh, no, we're revitalizing the entire TIE fighter program. We're going to design the TIE interceptor. It's going to be armored. It's going to be faster. It's going to have more guns. It's going to have more power. It's going to be hyperdrive capable. It's going to have shields. Yeah. But again, atrophy sets in and nobody changes with him. So, well, yeah, I mean, but then look at Moff Gideon. Yeah. He chose to go the defensive route. He kept the he kept the high end armors. He kept the high end tanks, the high end ships. He kept the, and he's like, you know what? Well, if I, we're gonna quell, it was too late for that at that point. Moff Gideon came in, mm, and and not for him because look at what he did with the program. Well, but he he was like, oh crap, the empire fell. Uh, we might have to change guys. But that's and that's, where that's I was going. when he did that. That's where I was going with this is. He saw those flaws and he said, if we're going to quell these pockets of rebellions who are armed and capable, as we've seen, we need to go back to the defensive ways. Well, and that's the seesaw effect Harvesting, I was talking about. Well, it's a moment of it, yes. Well, yes, but it's like, oh, Harvesting crap. Beskar for stormtroopers with yep. jetpacks. Yep. How do we beat these guys? We assimilate to them. Right. And if we can't assimilate to them, we will die trying. Well, and, and like I was saying, that... that that's the perfect evidence of the seesaw. Oh crap! Offense didn't work. They're way more. They're way more effective offensively because they're gorilla and they have better weapons. Uh, build the defense, guys. Uh, we need defense. Weapons. Yeah, yeah. And so, it, it, there is some of that in Star Wars, but yeah, some of the time it feels like, <clears throat> like the uh, the CIS or the Republic. They just only worried about offense, but. There are examples of the B2 battle droid being way more defensive, the yeah. droidicas pulling shields. Um, there's a definite example between the Battle of Geonosis and... Well, the LAAT gunships, right. prime example. Powerhouses, but no shields. No shields. So when you have, when you're carrying, you know, 20 clone troopers in one of these gunships or it's a all band armor. of Jedi, yep. you get hit 15 times by flak. Sorry, you just lost 10 Jedi. Well, and it's it's like oh, what are the CIS, the missile boats, the the, the hellfire the droids, the hellfire droids. Yeah. you'll notice that after the Battle of Geonosis, the the they didn't use them. Anymore. They just like ah, that was pointless. Uh, those were super easy to destroy. You just destroy that little wheel bearing there, and the whole thing blows up. But the armament capabilities of those things was off the charts. But what did they come up with? Which ones? After that, they came up with those crawling. The, had, with the nose had, gun. They already had the spider droids. Was it the spider droids with the no, the gun out of their nose? The the big tall ones with the round ball and the... Well, they were walk on four oh, legs. No, I know which one you're talking uh, Yeah, it's got the two big red eyes. Looks like a little bug. Yes, and I then can't. the nose of the bug is a cannon. Yeah, I, I can't remember so the name of those. after yeah. they realized how bad of an idea it was to have an all-offensive uh, missile uh, hellfire droid... <laughs> They went, okay, we're going to go a little slower. Instead of these wheel bearings, we're going to go with four legs so they have a redundancy and take out one leg and it'll still keep walking. It's a mobile MLRS system. Yes. <laughs> and we can't, We, I mean, you, you, can more, you can armor more heavily a joint of a leg than you could the wheel bearing. Or the wheel, for that matter. Well, but then it goes back to what are you arming yourself with? And as we know from Star Wars and other science fiction universes, the types of elements at their disposal is so vast that picking the strongest one isn't always the best because they still have to take into account physics from our world. 
ductility, yield points, tensile strengths, uh, brittleness, things like of that nature. Right. If it's hard enough to stop a, a weapon, it's going to be brittle, and then you're dealing with. Whole you can't go issue. down a mountain. Like right. It's, it's. I mean, th- things of our nature that we can attest to. Right. They still have the same laws in their world. It might be more advanced because technology's progressed, but they still have to answer those questions. Right. And and that's what makes it immersive. That's what makes it feel real. That's what makes a really good universe. Is those those questions those uh, consistencies? Yeah, I suppose that, I could say that. That it makes you like think for a second that hey, that it's kind of like Warhammer when they come out with the bolt gun. And it's like, oh, it's a pistol that fires massive grenades. I wonder how many of those they have in a magazine. Oh, look, 5,000. <laughs> like, They're just condensed. Or Judge Dredd's gun, where it has just unlimited oh, ammo, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, there is not physically enough room in that gun for that much ammo, guy. No, but it's Judge Dredd, so we can't really... We get past it, yeah. and we accept it. But, like, that is one thing that they did pretty well. See, and in the 40K universe, I feel like, I, I guess a few have already opened up that can of worms. So there are, obviously, as we know, different different types of cultures in 40K. And a lot of it, depending on whether or not you have access to the warp, how old your your system is, you know, the, the Necrons, as old as they are, they still have some of the most advanced weapons and defensive systems. Right. Granted, they made a deal with the devil to get it, but well, they do. Well, they're not really people anymore. Yeah, that is true, too. Once such a lavishly art- artistic culture, completely ruined. But then you look at the orcs, who just, they just pound stuff together and they will it to be so. And it right. works. It's like, okay, now look at the Imperium. They progress in a linear manner. There are no. I'm talking about like their their armors, their weapons. They don't. This is a fun. This is a fun tidbit of lore for 40k. Now 30k, that might be true. You could argue it. I know it's true. By 40k, they have all but stopped innovating at all, and the machine cult actually says all technology that needs needs to exist already exists. You just have to find the STCs, standard construct, or standard template construct, and so. Actually, the Imperium is degrading technology as these STCs like the are lost or wear out. Yeah. And so it's actually a really cool balance. But yeah, no, the, the Imperium in 40K, there is no progression except with Belisarius Cole, which, let's be honest, shouldn't be a thing. Well, and then I look at the Eldari who just, they honk together bones and then they imbue it with spiritual power and, and ancient beings. Oh, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, but... all right. That's not fair to the Eldari. <laughs> that's not. Okay. Some of them do. Yes. The, the, the Exodites and the Craft Worlders. Yes, that's true. But the Drakari, they, they do a lot okay, with technology. I'm just speaking as a whole. Because right, then the Necrons right. show up and they're like, oh, uh, yeah, we're just going to completely bypass all of that with our Lich Swords. And yeah, it does not matter. Because science trumps spirits any, <laughs> any day of the week. Okay, all right. That's, that's, that's not fair to the Eldar. And then you get into the Tyranids who... Yeah, no, I'm just <laughs> oh, oh, are we going to get into the, into the, the Tyranids? 
<laughs> a mix between alien and dinosaur. I really don't know which way to go. They're the this. most. They're the most <laughs> fun defensive creatures. Yeah, biophages. Bio because mass. like, oh, we need more defense. Grow a bigger carapace. <laughs> yeah. Oh, eat, we need we eat need the carcass of that dead thing and, and assimilate. Uh, we need yeah. we need more we need more offense. Uh, you over there, grow your spiky thing on your hand longer. <laughs> Grow a, grow a third arm and, and have it shoot things. <laughs> right. Like that one is, is probably my favorite because they should win every battle. They really should. And for some reason they just don't. Well, they, don't. they win most of them. Depending on who they're up against. Well, they win most of them regardless. Mm. It takes it takes. I think the Necrons of... speak against that. Okay, the Necrons are not a fair fight against them. You can't, can't eat Necrodermis, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, you can't, you can't assimilate biomatter when there is no biomass. I have no conscience, ha. Huh? <laughs> there is no biomass here. I don't feel pain. And so, the, the, yeah, the Necrons, they, they do whoop the Jaranids' butts pretty, pretty handsomely. There's really not a whole lot of cultures that can stand up to the Necrons' capabilities. Well, especially their ability to adapt defensively. Like, oh, look, the Imperium is blasting us with flak. Uh, what's the ceiling on their flak? 10,000 feet? Awesome. Fly higher. Oh, you fly can't. 10,001. Oh, you can't fly higher? <laughs> right. uh, I'm going to make you forcibly evolve to fly higher. <laughs> oh, look, that Necron's dead. Let me just uh, take all of his powers and memory and. Oh, I'm going to make my wings longer on a whim because I have Necrodermis and I can do that. <sighs> But but conscious forced evolution is just that is there is no reason that shouldn't beat all other technology in the galaxy. Well, it's also living tissue and matter, right? And that plays a huge part when you're talking about like we you know like we joked about growing limbs. Like, oh, I need another arm to hold this shield here. Just oh, there it is. Now let me pick up the shield. Right, but the, well, there's that, and that's not exactly how <laughs> it works. I know, but I'm. But remember, like a lot of our queen, fans aren't 40k fans. I know, so. but like the queens, they can actually actively rewrite the DNA of their of their follower, like the, their horde. Yeah. Now the ones that are already created generally don't like shapeshift in front of you, but the next round of soldiers will be enhanced. And the next round of soldiers, though, or the, the round of soldiers that died the first time, they'll just be picked up and put back into biomass. And so it's, it's refueling. I'm not going to talk about how that happens. Cause <laughs> Oh, I will. It's grim dark. I will. The <laughs> bugs come and they eat it and they turn it into a pulp and they drop it in a pool, and then the pool sends biomass it's like sludge a, up to the ships. If you've played StarCraft or StarCraft II, it's a lot like the Zerg and how the Zerg... Oh, yeah. Because the Zerg have those the, the biomasses where they can just take over somebody's base by having the Leviathans come through and, and just... They plop down this biomass on top of your base, and they basically just assimilate it and turn it into a drone factory oh uh actually it's because um starcraft was supposed to be a warhammer game yeah uh look at the zerg it's reskinned but look <laughs> at the zerg they're the Terranids. yep and what are the protoss, protoss? they're the eldari and the marines are supposed to be the, the space marines and... the imperium yeah, no, well, Protoss... Uh... No, no, no. You know how I know that's true? Because the Tau didn't exist when that game came out. So basically my running theory is that game was designed to be sold as a Warhammer game. And when they realized that, you know, 
Games Workshop wasn't going to go for it. They were like, all right, reskin it and sell it. And good on them. But that's just so strange that... Well, no, the Tower out when StarCraft Two came out. Uh, yeah, but not when the original StarCraft came out. No, but I feel like StarCraft Two they made them more, more like the Tau. Just all their weapons, the way they look. They have the same blued mm. features, sunken eyes... Uh, kind of, but I'm going to blame that on the reskin. Because, well, reskin, yes, but the Eldari would have been more, like, prehistoric type Right, but, but, but with the cloaking and the... I suppose. It's just the way they function as units. It, it screams Eldari to me. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we got for you guys. Uh, something to ponder for yourselves the regression of Star Wars defense but uh, let us know how wrong we were yeah yeah uh, as always at Dresh Day Cantina Instagram Dresh Day Cantina wherever you listen at Hive of Scummy Villains at gmail.com discord at Dresh Day Cantina we're still uh, still popping along giving you guys content so thanks for listening and continuing to listen and spread the word and see you again soon. See you next week.